Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We are studying the story of salvation, the story that God has laid out in the Bible. If there were uh, such a story like this, then it would be in in a book. The books would have chapters, and the chapter titles would be the covenants. And so we're, when we're surveying the story of salvation history, we're looking, we're jumping from covenant to covenant. And today we're going to look at the Abrahamic covenant. That's what we just heard read and dramatized in that video. We're going to look at that covenant, and, and this is an especially important Sunday to be here because this Abrahamic covenant, this covenant defines what it means to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. This is the covenant that absolutely defines what it means to be a person of of faith. This is the covenant that defines what it means to be saved. And it will be used as a pattern or a template throughout the entire Bible. Starting here in Genesis chapter 12 to the very end of Revelation, this is that covenant. It is the covenant to Abraham. And we'll look at that. And then we'll quickly survey the life of Abraham when God continues to remind him of that covenant. He will repeat the covenant, oh, somewhere six or seven times in the life of Abram. And we'll, we'll look at those and how they kind of change um, from time to time, uh, uh, you know, actually bringing out various nuances. It takes thousands of years to tell a great story. And this story of salvation is an example of a story that takes thousands and thousands of years. You'll see that there's premeditation to this, that there are clues of things to come. Let me review for just a a brief time because we're on our third covenant for those of you that might have missed. The story begins with the covenant to Adam, and it's called the Adamic covenant. Sometimes it's the Adamic covenant, the Eden covenant. They're actually two different things, but although, anyway, let's go back. It's the covenant to Adam. And that covenant is made because Adam and Eve are given a place to rule, a garden to rule as kings, and they would rule for all but eternity and and fill the earth. They had one prohibition. They violated that prohibition, and in that violation, it's what's called the fall of man. It is when original sin enters into the double helix of human identity, and we are broken, and we cannot fix ourselves. 
And because we cannot fix ourselves and because we are in this state of damnation, God leads us east of Eden and disallows us from enjoying the tree of what would really be perpetual youth, but we call it the tree of life, and so they wouldn't live forever in this set of circumstances. And God makes a promise, a promise to Adam, the Adamic covenant, that a son of Eve would come from his family tree, one of his descendants, a family, uh, a descendant of, of Eve, and he would come and crush the curse. And that's the covenant to Adam. And then we see that uh, man is at war at that point on, and, it, and the culture de- continues to decline and uh, hits rock bottom at chapter 6 of Genesis chapter 6, where this summary statements uh, we read last week, the second um, covenant is to Noah, but this is how it gets there. And the Lord observed the intent the extent, rather, the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And so the Lord grieved that he had put man on the earth, and it broke his heart, it says. And so he said, I will extinguish all living things on the earth. And that's when we hear about the flood. And the flood, after the flood, after the water subsides, God makes a covenant to Noah. It's called the Noahic Covenant. And he promises to Noah that he would never judge the earth in that manner again. He leaves with Noah and all of creation a reminder of that promise. It's the rainbow, so that all creatures, large and small, could look up at each rainbow after each rainstorm and be reminded of God's covenant promise that he would not do that again. Uh, Noah is given a garden. He builds a garden. It's a vineyard. He gets drunk. It's a sign. That the story is a sign of how we are broken and we cannot fix it. We are decadent. The story continues in the last chapter before it gets to this Abrahamic covenant. Uh, chapter 11 is again to show that we are in rebellion against God. We form a nation so we wouldn't even need God, and the, uh, the nations are scattered. We get to the Abrahamic covenant in chapter 12 of Genesis, and, and this is when God steps in and says, this is, this is when it gets very specific about how he's going to uh, solve this problem. He says, I'm going to bring about one holy tribe, and I, God is saying this, and I'm going to fix this through this one man. This is a, you're supposed to be, as you read the story and you turn the chapter, the page to the next chapter, and it's the Adamic covenant, it is, a, it is an abrupt change. Because in verse 1, it says, look, it'll be up on the screens here. And the Lord said to Abram, that's his name at the beginning of the story. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to all others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. And look at verse 4. And so Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. He obeyed. He acted out on faith. And before we go into his detailed uh, survey of his life, rather, uh, a survey of his life, looking at the covenants in his life, I want us to stop. And this is the first of the Abrahamic covenants, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And I want you to see this. This is the essence of saving faith. This is what it means to be a believer. This is, how, this is what it means to be a true Christian, to be called and to receive the call. And there's three aspects of this that we can see in, this, in these three verses. The first one is that real faith is very personal. Real faith is personal. If you look at the passage, it says, The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country. 
We don't use the King James Version very much here, but it's a, it's a literal translation. It says, get thee out. Get out. Leave. Go. Run. You're not here. You're there. The, the, the covenant begins by saying, you are not defined by where you live. You are not defined by who you belong to. You are not defined by your heritage, your upbringing, your programming. You belong to me. You start over here. You're mine. And everything that you consider safe or secure or the culture that you're living in, that's not you. You belong to me. You can't, here's the thing about saving faith. Here's the thing about the real call of God. You can't inherit a saving faith. You, 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 can't, you can't get it from your parents or from your heritage. You can't say, oh, I'm from Scotland, that's why I'm Presbyterian. I'm from Ireland, that's why I'm Roman Catholic. I grew up in the South, ergo, I'm Southern Baptist. That's what atheists say about Christians when they say it's not even real. They say, oh, you're just a follower of Jesus because you were, right, your family's from Scotland to Ireland or from the South. There's nothing true about it. And there are a lot of people, a lot of church attenders that have no response for that because they didn't hear the real call of God that says, get ye out. They, the real faith isn't your parents' choice. The answer to the, to the accusation that atheists give us is, is, is that real faith is not my parents' choice, right? Sure, 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 sure. Okay, I memorized verses for lollipops or patches just like I did the, the multiplication table. But the multiplication table was true. Just because I was raised that way and because I got food pellets to, to remember it doesn't make it untrue. Because there was a time in my adult life where I decided to, to pick up the phone from the call. God called me. I just picked up the line. The Holy Spirit was tugging on my heart and I responded. If I was raised in the desert of the Sinai, Granted, the ring would be not so loud, but I would hear it, and I would answer it. My parents didn't dial the number and hand me the phone. God wants to talk to you, okay? I didn't even pick up the phone <laughs> and say, hey, God, please take me. He called. I answered. And if I had to choose this day between following Jesus Christ and following my family, I'd have to say goodbye to a lot of Thanksgivings and Christmases because I would follow him. The answer to real saving faith is it's, it is personal. It is yours. It's not y'all's. The second thing you see in these passages here is, again, 12 verse 1, it's, it's scary. And the Lord said to Abram, leave your native family, everything you like and enjoy. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Uh, <laughs> go to the land that I'll show you. Where are you going to take me? I'll show you when I show you. I'm not going to tell you where I'm going to send you. You're not in control. 
A saving faith is not about you controlling God or you negotiating with God is if you could fast forward and show me what's going to happen, then I'll make a decision based upon that. He doesn't do that. A saving faith is completely submitted to the will of God. He's in charge. You are not in the pilot's seat or on a throne. There are very few there are very few planes that are built, fighter planes anyway, that are built where there's a pilot seat next to a co-pilot seat. Okay. Most of them are built like this. Just get in the back and tell me when we get to some place. God's in control of your life. Get out. Leave. Go to that place over there. I'll fill in the gaps later. There's no agenda for you. There, will it enrich my life? I don't have to tell you. Here's one of the reasons, besides just the definition of him being God and Lord, here's another reason he wouldn't tell you, because you wouldn't go. What he has for your life is scary, but it's better. It's better, but it's scary. Any one of you have been following God for a little while, this would be fun, we could just line people up here. How many of you, if you knew you were going to end up where you are today, would have said, oh, take me there 30 years ago? I wouldn't be on this stage, I can tell you that. Because that would, that would scare me too much. He has great... Here's the thing, we are all such hobbits, aren't we? We want to have been on an adventure, we don't want to be on an adventure. <laughs> right? And so... So, right, so God comes to us. That's why it's written that way. So Gandalf just says, you just follow me, you little hobbits. Where are you going? <laughs> just follow me, you little hobbits. That's how it works. Real faith, real faith, okay, it's personal. It is scary. And the last thing is it is purposeful. At the end of the, of the promise there, it says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. It is not about you. Your, per, your faith in Jesus Christ, okay, it is personal to you. Right? And, and it's scary for you. But it's not about you. It is, it is, God is not, he has not brought you into his family so that, so that you could live the most comfortable life. And you don't make decisions based on, this is the best job for me. This will allow me the most influence or the most comfort or the most predictability. All the things that we desire. It is, our choices are, how can we serve the king and the king's plan? You will be a blessing to all other nations. The question is that we ask God, where can I be the biggest blessing? Because, because Abraham here, he is, he is blessed to bless the nations. And all the world will be blessed because of you. You will be a blessing to other people. When we, when you and I, when we huddle together and have no concern towards people outside of the church, we cannot be in God's will. When we arrange our circumstances so that maybe, and we'll pray this, that our children will never befriend or love a person outside the church, we are not praying God's will. That's not, that's not a real calling to be safe. The calling to Abraham was to get out, to be scared, and to bless others. That's what he was called to do. That's what real faith looks like. That's, that's 
saving faith. And verse 4, and Abraham departed and obeyed the Lord. That's what it looks like. Now, when we look at his life, we don't have time, right, to survey his entire life. But what I'd like to do is survey the times in his life. He's 75 in Genesis chapter 12 when he receives this promise. He is without children. His wife is unable to conceive. And, and the, if you listen carefully, the promises that God gives Abraham are entirely based on him having an heir, a child, a son, with his wife we'll call Sarah. So the whole crux of the fulfillment of this promise is whether or not God can make this happen is entirely you know, contingent and, and set upon an heir for Abraham. And so when you look at the outline of the promise, it, it, it's, it's a simple outline that he's going to promise, he's going to promise Abraham a land, a garden, right? For him to rule, a land, a nation, he'll need an heir for that, and one of his heirs will crush the curse. So he'll he'll need a nation to rule, and that means his family will rule. He'll need an heir. He'll need land. He'll need an heir, and he'll need a descendant that will crush the curse. So as this plays out, that's what God's just going to, that's what Abraham's going to have to wonder about. That's what he's going to doubt. That's what he's going to be concerned about. Ten years go by. Ten years go by. Sarah is still without child. Abraham is still wondering, I don't understand. Now, he's, he's left his country. He's gone to the promised land. That's why it's called the promised land. It was promised to Abraham. Cool, right? Still today, they call it the promised land. He's quite wealthy, but he doesn't have any real estate that he owns you know, to speak of. And he certainly does not have a child. He's 85 years old in Genesis chapter 15. And God comes to him, and, and he has all this stuff, right? He has, he has, he has um, shepherds, and he has sheep and rams, and he's, he's quite wealthy, but he, he doesn't own anything. The theme of chapter 15 is a, it's kind of a real estate renegotiation. It's a real estate re-promise. And, he, and he's wondering if he'll ever have an heir. That's a, a, a beautiful single sentence as he's praying um, with, with, with God under, you know, under his covering, under his tent. And it says so beautifully, and the Lord's brought him outside. And he said, God says to Abram, he says, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. Your descendants will be many more than these. And Abraham's staring into this Milky Way, right? And it says he believed He believed it in his heart that he would have that many descendants and more. And it says that it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That that was a saving moment in his life. And God does not want this moment to slip away. He wants him to remember these spiritual uh, validating moments in his life. And so he brings in this ritual of a real estate covenant. Okay, in real estate covenant back then, a lot of the covenants are this way, but especially the real estate ones, men and women would walk the, 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 the parameters of the real estate they're going to trade, and then they would cut some animals in half, and they would walk through the animals, and the sandals would be all bloody, and they would exchange sandals. And so you would always have, you know, your business partners, right, bloody sandals. So you could always remember that you walked this field together, and then you, you cut an animal in half, and you exchanged bloody sandals. You'd always remember that promise that you made. Well, this is an extravagant one. He's staring up into these stars. He believes, and God said, I, I don't want you to ever forget this. Cut up five animals, 
You know, cut up five of them. Look how three of them split them in half. I'll walk right between them, right? And then two of them, they'll be at the end. So you do that, Abram, and let's do this together. You'll never forget this night that you believed in me. And then right before it was time to walk through, God touched Abraham and put him into a death sleep, a deep, dark, fearful sleep. And when it was time to sign the contract by walking through the blood, Abram sleeps and God walks through and and says this, then the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction. Look north and south and east and west. I am giving all of this land to you for as far as you can see. You and your descendants will have permanent possession of this land. I will give you so many descendants that it will be like the dust of the earth. They cannot be counted. And so the Lord made a covenant with Abram on that day. He said, I have given you this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites. You go, you walk through this land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. This land, this covenant that he makes, Abram makes, or God makes with Abraham, listen carefully. Abram did not do anything. He, he believed in the promise of God. This covenant is salvatory. This is an example of what salvation looks like because it is one way. God did all the talking. God did all the walking. It is unconditional. What did Abram do? Did he promise to do something? He didn't. He was sleeping. Your salvation covenant that will be recorded this over and over in the Bible is God promising you believing in the promise. That's salvation. If you think you have to do something, you have to find it in this passage. What did Abram do? He slept. He believed. He believed in the promise of God. And so, <laughs> and this is salvation. It is a gift. It is believing in the gift of God. Well, that's Genesis chapter 15. Um, Abram's uh, 85 years old at the time. Another, another 25 years goes by between 20, 24 years from when he originally heard it in chapter 12, and now we're in chapter 17 in Genesis. Abram's 99 years old. He has no heir. He has no land, really, so to speak. But God's going to come to him again, and he's going to emphasize the promise this time of a descendant. He's going to emphasize the original promises that he made in chapter 12, but this time he won't be emphasizing the land like in 15. This time he'll emphasize you will be a father. You will have a child with your wife, Sarah. Again, Sarah's empty womb is uh, is a metaphor for the miraculous provision of God. The only way this will work is if God steps in. And so he tells Abraham all of this in chapter 17, and Abraham believes this. And, I mean, he comes to him, Abraham, he comes to Abraham, Abram, and he, and he says this in chapter 17, verse 4. He says, this is my covenant with you. I will make you a father of multiple nations. What's more, I'm changing your name from Abram 
Instead, we'll call you Abraham because you'll be the father of many nations now, and there's more, and I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. And I will confirm this covenant with you and your descendants for you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And he believed it. He believed, you, Abram, you will have so many descendants, and they will be nations, and they will be kings. You, your family tree will have kings and queens in them. Okay, how can you remember this? I'm going to change your name from father to father of nations. Everyone now is going to call you by a different name. That will help you remember, because remembering the promises of God are key. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to insist that you circumcise yourself and everyone in your family. Because this circumcision ritual will be a sign of procreation. And every time you hold yourself, whether you're going to the bathroom or you're engaged in intimacy with Sarah, you'll always remember that it was a miraculous birth. It was a miraculous conception. It was a miraculous birth. It was a fulfillment of a promise I made to you. And from this day forward... On the eighth day, every Jewish male is circumcised. So they will always remember that they, their existence on this planet began with a miracle in the womb of Sarah. And the rite of circumcision began. And it says that Abraham, after hearing that, he says, on that very day, he and all of his servants were circumcised. No, it doesn't say it once. On that very day, he and his servants were all circumcised. And that's where we get the rite or ritual of circumcision. It is the covenant to Abraham concerning his heir. Seminary is the study of seminal lines, of heritage, of descendants, of a seed of Abraham. This is a very big deal. <laughs> One year later, Isaac is born. And his name means laughter. Come here, laughter. Come here. Oh, look, laughter took his first steps. Laughter, come here. Make me laugh. And, I mean, I love the way a great story ends. So at 100 years of age, Abram becomes Abraham, becomes a father. And now we have an heir that will be the father of a nation that will give birth someday in his lineage, someone, a daughter or a son of Eve that will crush the curse. We're done. It's a great story. It took, what, 100 years to make? But it's a great story. But it doesn't end in chapter 21. It ends in chapter 22. The climax of Abraham's life, Abraham's life is in chapter 22 when just as abruptly as chapter 12, the Bible says, sometime later, we're thinking about 20 years later, sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, well, here I am. Then God said to him, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I tell you. It's almost the same three sentences. Go, just go. I'm not going to tell you where, just the area of Moriah. I'll tell you when I get there what exact hill to go up on. Go there, sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac, the son whom you love. 
And it says the very next day he got up and he took Isaac and he went on a three-day journey. Three days, two nights to think about this. The whole time just staring into the eyes of the promised one. This is the one who is the heir. This is the one who's the miraculous child. This is the one that will be part of the lineage of nations and blessings to nations where kings will be born. And so in these three days, it's very interesting. It says we're cheating. We're going to the end of the book. In Hebrews, it says somewhere in Abraham's mind, he knew that he would sacrifice Isaac. What he didn't know is how God was going to get Isaac to be a father before those three days were up. And then he resolved, that it says he resolved in his heart that God would resurrect Isaac from the dead. And that's how he was able to, like, make sense out of this. But look what he's asking him to do. He's saying, look, in, in chapter 12, he said, I want you to take everything that's safe and secure to you. In chapter 22, he says, I want to take, I want, I want, I want to take the thing that's most precious to you. In chapter 12, he says, I want you to abandon all of your past. In chapter 22, he says, I want you to abandon all your future. In chapter 12, he says, you're going to have to trust me. In chapter 22, he says, you're going to have to love me. And he saddles up and goes early the next morning. They get to the foot of the mountain, and it's just at this point they brought some servants, and they just, it's just the two of them now. And, and he loads up Isaac with all the lumber. And Isaac is carrying, that's why we think he's around 20 or so, and he's carrying all this lumber up the hill. And, and Abraham has like a torch and a knife. And so Isaac says, it's so tender, he says, Father? And Abraham says, yes, son. And Isaac says, you have the fire and the knife, but where is the lamb that will be slaughtered for a sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide a sacrifice for us. And they go up to the top of the mountain, and it says that Abraham tied him and bound Isaac and put him on top of the offering, the, burnt, uh, the, the, the wood to be, to be lit. And he takes the knife, and he's going to gouge his throat with it. And just then, the angel of the Lord steps in and says, Abraham, Abraham, blocks his hand. Abraham, Abraham, yes, Lord. Do not lay a hand on that boy. Do not bring any harm to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son, the son that you loved. And do you know what Abraham said? I am Abraham, and I have no gods before me. The story ends with a resolution in Abraham's heart that he would not worship an idol in the image of Isaac. He is free. He is completely free. He knows who God is, and he enjoys him. And so the story really concludes in chapter 22 with a seventh promise, I think, maybe sixth. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham from the heavens and says, I swear to myself, declares the Lord, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars are in the sky and the sands are in the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of the enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations in the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That is what faith looks like, friends. That's what, it, that's what it's lived life. It is very personal. Right? It is scary. 
And it's, pers- it's purposeful. He would remember that day. He wouldn't need a bloody sandal. He wouldn't need circumcision to remind him of that day. Every time he went anywhere near Moriah, if he saw it in a silhouette in the sunset, he would know that was the day he knew he was free. That was the day he was willing to give his son up for the Lord would someday resurrect him somehow. He would remember. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.